Hi, I'm Myrta from Gipschall in Athens and you're listening to Music A to Z. Hello and welcome to the Music A to Z podcast. I'm Steve Ferguson. And I am Douglas Ferguson. How are we doing today, Doug? Well, I'm uh, feeling rather depressed, actually. Oh. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, no, it's good. Yeah, you know, it's good. Yeah, Because okay. I've been been getting a little bit back in the gym. The guy? Uh, the, yeah, the, uh, the gym ecologist. Okay. And you know what the, the best feeling is? A shower. Well, actually, you'll... Poop in the shower right after the gym. It's the, it's, well, I used to go to the gym regularly. That was uh, that was devil. I used to do it right in the morning mm-hmm. as soon as I got home. Uh, yeah, yeah, just clean, clean, you yeah. clean yourself out, then you clean your outside, mm-hmm. and boom, you're a hundred bucks ready for the day. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. That's a beautiful thing. I don't even drink coffee because it makes you have to poop. Oh, that's that's true as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Wouldn't you know that? I guess I just didn't make the connection because okay. I never mentioned coffee. Oh, I see. You just <laughs> serve it. You don't drink it. We have quite a long episode, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna summarize um, summarize our music news really quick. Mm-hmm. The Junos was the other night, Ugh. and as a music <laughs> podcast, theoretically we should talk about that, but not on this show. No. Also, documentary about Michael Jackson and uh, interview with R. Kelly. Anyways, moving right along. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ooh, ha ha. Ooh, Okay. I haven't seen either. Well, no, I've seen bits of the, the interview, not but nothing about the documentary. I kind of just looked up what it was about, and like, mm, this oh that old story. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh-huh. well, they're opening that can, oh. can of worms again. We're doing this. Okay. So. Okay. Only. Yeah, I don't know. Only, only he already dead. Yeah. You can't do anything about he already dead. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, anyways, diving straight into the podcast this week, as previously discussed, we're going to talk about. An artist that started really, really underground, and then within a, tr- a few short years, transitioned really not only into pop, but became very much like a guiding force in pop, I would say, right? Mm. So, uh, I mean, quite a fascinating story. This week we're covering Nicki Minaj, right? <laughs> I'm trying to think of something really clever to add to that but hmm. you know i'm just when it comes to Nicki minaj i just i just i just don't have any words <laughs> I, just, I just don't have any any words at all mm-hmm. 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 so that wasn't my understanding uh so I, if that's the case i need to uh scratch off all my research mm-hmm. uh, for this week and, and yeah two months yeah has it been two months uh, yeah so but we you were, haven't been spending the last two months researching Nicki minaj no no i can't i can't i couldn't do it i couldn't uh. do it i couldn't watch a whole music video of hers <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't do it <laughs> no. okay. well there you go i guess that's, it. Every, that's all for the show everybody <laughs> yeah. oh, sidebar then sidebar who were you researching i was uh, listening to new order Thank you. 
me we spoke about that because we did an episode not too long ago ish uh, about joy division right yes chronologically through uh, through our episodes and it wasn't that long ago at all. yeah indeed yeah uh, joy Div- okay okay so as a band that was in the 80s should we link it to king crimson well we found actually a couple connections to mm-hmm. king crimson as uh, yeah this is a band Founded, I guess, technically in the 70s, but also in the 80s. So one of the things was there was a producer of of Republic, Stephen... How do you say that? I think it's Hag. Hag, yeah. yeah. Who has who's actually produced a lot of things by a lot of bands. One of which is the Pet Shop Boys. Mm-hmm. And the Pet Shop Boys, their very first album, Stephen, it turns out... Was Please, which, was, he, which Stephen Haig produced. He produced Please. Yeah, he produced that yeah. one as well, yeah. And Andy McKay played... <laughs> this is a bit of a, a loose connection. It's still there. But it's there. Andy McKay played the saxophone on track for uh, Andy McKay, who was a founding member of Roxy Music, mm. who had... Uh, well, not only worked with Brian, you know, who's worked with Robert Fripp of King Crimson, but also King Crimson helped form Roxy Music, um, or Fripp did, uh, just when when uh, the lead singer of Roxy Music, um, Brian Ferry, Brian Ferry, there you go. his name was eluding me at that moment, when he had auditioned for King Crimson as a singer, but his sound was not right. But I think uh, your your connection of uh, Flood, who mm-hmm. was an engine, it was an engineer mm-hmm. on on, on uh, movement. Uh, him having produced many a thing for you two, and you two having the Brian Eno connection as well, who also again works very much of often with Fripp. Oh, actually, you know he also worked with Agent Blue. Come to think of it, so there's uh, there just yeah, it just doesn't take that long before you get to the King Crimson connection. It can be a little harder than you'd think ultimately because New Order, as we find out uh, later, they self produce a lot. Yes, it's true. So there's a lot of self production there. So you kind of gotta look. In the deeper liner notes. Yeah, but they're there. They are there. We're going back to Manchester in the United Kingdom. Ian Curtis has taken his life. It's May 18th, 1980. The band, Joy Division, supposed to go on freaking tour. They're supposed to go on tour. They're supposed to hop over the pond in North America. This is is the stepping stone that's going to turn these guys to uh, a blowing up act into international stardom. This is it. The time is right. This This is it. And now this is kibosh. What do you do? What do you do? Uh, there are three remaining members now of Joy Division. Bernard Sumner, Stephen Morse, and Peter Hook. <sighs> and they say, well, you know, who who would blame us? Who would blame us if we uh, called it quits? Who would blame us if, if we decided, ah, I guess that was enough. Let's go back to uh, let's go back to our blue-collar jobs. 
uh, you know, we gave it a try, and then something something monumentous happened that uh, that came up in the way, and that was the end of it. Can we even just call this Joy Division anymore? It's not even our front man is gone. He's dead, and it's a highly publicized and controversial death. But they decided to continue to play music anyways. And um, although not calling themselves anything, really, at this point, they are still working on some old Joy Division songs that didn't quite see the light of day. Ceremony being the chief one. That was the one that they they felt they still wanted to work on. That Ceremony was like, they're going to be their next song. And they're like, well, we're not done with it yet. So let's keep going. Now, there was speculation that the band chose their new name, New Order, due to... Uh, Either fascist ideology, which we spoke about with Joy Division, where it's like people saw a boy on a drum and the stylized writing and stuff, they're just like, these guys are neo-Nazis. Oh, wait, they're calling themselves New Order? Like the New World Order? Like Nephilim? Like the lizard people who are running the governments? Good God! The boys in Brazil are coming back? The moon landing was fucking staged, dude! Dude! And, turns out, Earth was flat all along. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, or conversely, it's the idea of starting something anew. But actually, really, the band kind of just went from a, with a suggestion from their manager that just kind of sounded good. There's no big, there's no big reason, some big paradigm shift that ah, we've got to call ourselves New Order because of this. It's more like ah, uh, well, what do you guys think of New Order? Yeah, okay, let's, that sounds good to me. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And I would imagine, honestly, at the time, they probably didn't know they were even going to be around the next month anyway. So, you know. Yeah, I imagine there was them just trying to, just them scratching their heads more or less, trying to figure out what to, what to do, the, flying by the seat of their pants, mm-hmm. as they will. Because, uh, you know, it, uh, would audiences even take to them without Ian Curtis? Well, that's just it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the logical question became, well, who's going to be our frontman? Neither of the three remaining guys were singers. So, who's kind of like, I guess, when Peter Gabriel left Genesis, who, uh... Genesis! <laughs> ah, oh, there wow. it is. Oh, it's been a long it's time. It's been a while. There it is. Uh, it was time to start auditioning singers, going around, meeting friends, meeting people they didn't know. Who, who had the right kind of voice? They weren't happy with anybody. Again, kind of like Genesis. So... Well, let's let's keep it within the family. Bernard Sumner himself, he was the obvious choice. As he was the least, quote-unquote, busy member of the band, because he was only on guitar, whereas everybody else was kind of like doing tons of stuff. But they wanted to round out their sound. Remember, at the end of Joy Division, they were starting to experiment with synth. They were starting to bring in some new sounds. They were... It wasn't punk. It was post-punk. And post-punk was new. It was a new thing. What what does this, this new sound... 1980, what does it sound like? It's not Sex Pistols. It's not The Clash. What is it? What is it? So they wanted a synth player. Morris's girlfriend, uh, Jillian Gilbert. She was recruited actually very early on, even performing with the band before they had named themselves. She picked up synths and guitars as well. So Sumner, at times, his guitar work is... A, uh, redundant is almost too strong a word, but it kind of is. Because it seems like everybody, everybody plays guitar, so Sumner is just one of the guitar players at this point. I will say I watched a, a documentary on YouTube called The New Order Story. And as fascinating as it is, it's kind of got a very unusual mood to it. In that, like, there's these long periods where there's no narration, but the band's just kind of, like, talking amongst themselves. And you're like, what the hell are they talking about? They're laughing and joking. Or, or some establishing shots, them walking. And then a super sultry woman's voice comes in to narrate it. And she's not even really saying anything of substance. She's just like, 
Mm, what makes New Order truly worth mentioning is it the iconic visuals that blah, 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 blah. Nothing like, oh, you know, uh, like Richard Attenborough, here we see New Order is yeah, in the yeah. studio compiling this and this. And I feel like there's got to be a healthy middle ground. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Still, fascinating documentary. Part of this documentary was, it was like called the NO Show, and it was this weird sort of staged game show where the members of New Order were all the, they were the contestants answering trivia about themselves. And it was done in a very sort of mockumentary-ish sort of style. And to be honest, I wasn't really in on the joke, but it was interesting hearing them speak about some stuff. Uh, they hacked, they've had a very unusual sense of humor. They uh, One of the questions was, who is the laziest member of the band? One of them said, oh, Ian Curtis. It's been years since he's done anything. It's <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, yikes. Yikes, guys. Um, Dark, but you know what? I think a lot of people would appreciate that kind of dark humor. Interestingly enough, uh, New Order was known for years for being a mysterious band because they didn't like to give interviews. And they said outright, the reason why they don't like to give interviews is, first of all, that's the first question they're always asked. Is Ian Curtis? No. Why don't you like to give interviews? And the second question is basically leads from, from the first one. It's just like, so how were things after Ian died? Basically. All the time. That's all anybody wanted to talk about. A, how mysterious they were, and, and B, the fact that Ian Curtis had died. And the only reason they were so mysterious is because they were so damn sick of the second question. So it only fueled the first question more and more. So they just... Do you think just, that they yeah. walked around in public uh, with sunglasses and mustaches on? Uh, I didn't see any mustaches. No? Not, I didn't see any not mustaches. a one? Sunglasses, definitely. Oh, yeah. Like, why not? Yeah. I, I, I don't know if Jillian had a mustache. I don't think so. Well, I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be her own mustache, just when, you know, when she's being mysterious. Oh, 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 <laughs> oh, I see, like they're in disguise. Try not to look conspicuous! <laughs> <laughs> right? We won't go too much into their history, per se, because again, like with a lot of the really big acts, and New Order was huge, there's lots of behind-the-music stuff, and one thing I'll mention now is... Yes, from 1982 to 1997, they and Factory Records owned uh, the Hacienda nightclub, which was responsible for bringing a lot of like house music into the UK, part of the Madchester scene, and they sunk a lot of money into it. They probably, although are undoubtedly very wealthy, could have been outrageously more wealthy if they hadn't kept dumping money into this into this club that was continually losing money on them. It was continually continually losing money and they just kept because they were one of the richest bands in the world they just kept dumping money into that sinkhole which <laughs> la- which lasted an astounding 15 years finally demolished in 2002 after five years of That's just sitting there looking pretty kind of funny like clearly musicians and not businessmen <laughs> you know That's I think honestly like they left a lot of that the management of that to, although they were directors as well put a lot of it to factory records because remember, they couldn't devote their entire time to running it. Not when they're turning out albums and stuff. But I feel like no one was really managing it particularly well. And then, they, but they just had money. It's just like, I'll throw, throw some money at the problem and it'll go away, which it did for 15 years. That's a that's a huge that's a huge story. We could devote the entire podcast into talking into the hacienda years and all the bands that went through there and the the, the music styles that went through there. Uh, I, it's apparently fascinating. But we're taking that. We're going to put that to the back burner, and we're going to talk about New Order. Let's start with 
shockingly quick, all all things considered, mm-hmm. shockingly mm-hmm. quick after the death of Ian Curtis. Their first album, Movement, came out November 13th, 1981, released by Factory Records again, produced by Martin Hannett, who was Joy Division's producer. Although one of the assistants, I don't know if you saw this, was a very young Flood. He was 21 years old. Oh, I actually missed that. Hmm. Movement's cover art is a little different than what they would be known for. It's it's very kind of um, almost like utilitarian. It's, it's very... Um... Sparse? Yeah. Yeah. The F is for factory. The L is for 50. Because the catalog number is Fact 50. Kind of like uh, with uh, the uh, Yes album, uh, 90215. That was their, their catalog number. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like kind of like that. But how did you feel about movement? Well, Stephen, thanks for asking. You know, I, just to comment on the, on the title... Yeah. You know, New Order is sort of like a new beginning. I feel like movement is also sort of a statement on, you know, continuing movement despite the the, the stop, the, the break of well, what would have been a break for Joy Division. But no, actually, they are continuing the movement. And to be honest, um, I kind of, it wasn't that long. Like, uh, no. shockingly. And you, can, and you can hear it in this album particularly because... It feels more like Joy Division than it does New Order. Yeah. Um, and so, because it's very dark and very gloomy. And so much so much of it sounds like it was recorded in a tunnel. Um, it's like just thick with reverb. Um, maybe it was partially due to Bernard Sumner. Uh, perhaps he was uh, feeling like not super confident in his vocals and wanted to bury it under reverb, which is, you know, it's an effect that kind of actually does, you know, like if, if you don't feel... Like you're, like you're able to like hit those notes or, or I don't know. You can you can just kind of bury it under effects to some degree. And I feel like he did that a little bit, but not in a way that was like too much. Mm. So this album is very heavy on percussion and rhythm. I do like it very much though. Actually, I think I. But it's not like best as like a starter pack for New Order. No, you know? like it's not like if you're like oh you've got to hear New Order. Here's the first album movement. Because uh, I feel like it'd be very misleading, and at least at least in hindsight, obviously, when you're listening, if you were there, then uh, that was that was what you had. That was the starter pack. Yeah, in, in the when you look at the pantheon of New Order albums, this is not necessarily where I would recommend people go to first. There's no obvious hits in the pack. There's there like you know, listening listening to it, I wasn't like oh like oh this this track is fire. I love it, but it is a very cohesive album. It's consistent, and I think it is consistently good. Yeah, to be honest, if this uh, if this was a Joy Division album, I would call it Joy Division's best album. The focus is still on simple but fast guitar melodies, with bass following very closely. Drums usually then kick in to up the tempo, which was something I noticed was lacking with Joy Division's first album, was that there there was there was a lack of energy. Uh, but when Joy Division made energetic music, music, they made it well, and this carried over into the movement. And Sumner's vocals tend to want to follow the beat as opposed to stand out. And I absolutely agree with the reverb effect, you know. Um, and curiously as well, he's not the only singer here. Uh, Hook, Peter Hook, sings two of the songs as well. But if you're not paying too much attention, you might think they were the same person. And in a way, it's because they almost sound like they're doing an Ian Curtis impression at times. Mm-hmm. Which makes a degree of sense to me. That was kind of the vocal style that they were used to. Now, they're not going to exactly capture his vocal presence. But I can, I can hear definite, definite inspiration thereof. It doesn't last long. Uh, as they find their own identity, but uh, it's definitely here in movement. 
I liked how the first track was appropriately called Dreams Never End. Uh, that's me. That's me I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, it seems like very intentional like titles for, again, the album and also some of the tracks, for sure. Uh, the synth, in truth, reminds me of the minimalist haunting sounds from Joy Division. Doubts even here maybe my favorite of the bunch due to Hook's layered vocals, the echoing of the percussion, the juxtaposed synth and guitar melodies. It's great and an indication of the dark side of the new wave. And it actually ends on a high note, which I kind of like thematically. It's like a transition from the dark Joy Division to a brighter future. It's a closing track, but there's no sense of finality. But, but, but they weren't happy with the production of this album. They were not happy with it. Even even now to this day, any in interviews that they're a little dismissive of it. Not as much as they used to be. They're they're kind of now more forgiving of because it is what it is to them. It just is what it is. Why harp on it? It's like forty years ago. You know, it is what it is. They were a little curmudgeon about it at the time, but now not so much. Yeah, I get that. You know, it's, you just kind of accept your. I mean, again, like. I was going to say accept your failings, but I mean, personally, I don't feel like it's a particularly big failing. No, I don't so. think so as well. But you can tell based on the next album that it wasn't the sound that they were happy with. And that this, they took over the production work, uh, Power, Corruption, and Lies, May 2nd, 1983. And uh, they're still released through Factory, but this is more indicative of the sounds that they want. It's, it's still not fully the New Order sound, but it's, it's like 95% there. The cover art is A Basket of Roses by Henry Fantine Latoire. I'm not exactly sure how they got the rights to that. Maybe this is asked. Maybe it was a money issue. Whatever. But it's uh, apparently a very famous painting. I think my introduction to this album was back in, I want to say 2006, was a film with Kristen Dunst called Marie Antoinette. Actually, yeah, that's, it was the trailer. It was the trailer. The trailer, had, Marie, yeah, and had Age of Consent playing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that was my that was my introduction to this song, and th- ever since then, you know, I hear the song quite. Uh, the song pops up, I should say. The song pops yeah. up enough to remind me. I uh, it's on my work playlist, so I hear quite a bit. Yeah. So. Yeah, but of course, I mean, like the elephant in the room was the bloody massive single "Blue Monday" released the previous March. It's it's got a record for. The best-selling 12-inch release of all time. But three million copies. It wasn't on the album, though. No, it wasn't. But it was the single leading up to the album. This is something we're actually going to run into quite a bit. Is that they have these singles that lead to the album and then are not on the album. (laughs) And then this culminates in that collection. Substance. Yeah, where finally they drag them all together. But you also notice that a lot of the special re-releases, they just stick the radio versions, the radio versions, not the single versions, onto the album. No, because the single versions are what's on substance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's an interesting tactic, but apparently worked very well for them, because again, it meant that you, if you wanted to hear Blue Monday, you had to buy the single. And that was it. And that was and the if radio I, If I recall, it's still like the best-selling single of all time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. A three, well, I mean, they don't really sell a lot of 12-inch releases anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, it's capped, basically, that. So, yeah, again, three yeah. million copies the single was blue monday on uh the a side and then the beach on the b side which was basically a reworking of blue monday this was something i i, I sent to you earlier but you didn't get around to watching it we're gonna do it right now it's kind of a drunkard yeah there are a bunch of songs that led directly to the creation of it and you can hear the different elements and i'm curious as to your thoughts so okay play play a few seconds of each so the first one 
Donna Summer song, Our Love. The uh, second one is Dirty Talk by Klein and MBO. The third one is Craftworks Uranium. If you don't want to sleep tonight, keep that playing. Cool. And then my favorite of the bunch, Sylvester's You Make Me Feel Mighty Real. A lot of it's they're very elemental very they're they're bits and pieces in particular the donna summer track it's really only the backing bass and the beat that it takes from the tone is completely different actually i think in terms of matching tone is probably craftworks uranium which matches the tone the best but is also super super simplistic a very very simple track but, but you know what it does contribute to blue monday i feel is like essential is that it just kind of add, add to me that's like the highlight of blue monday is that oh. right the, the interesting thing is that, like, they never hid where their influences were from. They, they stayed quite open. They're just like, yeah, you know, when we made the song, here, here were our influences, and we were, we were trying to kind of take elements from these songs and put them together and come up with something new. And that's fascinating. I find that, that fascinating stuff because they really made something quite different, and you got to kind of listen to it, to, to the elements, and be like, okay, yeah, here's where I'm getting this and this from. But the tones of the song are completely different. Uh, and they've, they've really come up with... with with something very, very new out of very different songs. It reminds me, have you ever... I, I did this when I was putting together my list of 100 favorite songs. I played Praise You by Fatboy Slim. Yeah. And have you ever, like, tracked down the origins of his samples from that? I haven't. The, the most fascinating... Um, the most fascinating samples. Like, something from, like, a, a Disney disco album... And uh, from a, a, a vocal jazz thing, um, it was—it's just—and the fact that he took all these pieces and turned it into kind of what was a, a dance hit in the like, late '90s, it was, and it sounded nothing like any of them individually. Um, kind of, it gave major kudos to Fatboy Slim. So I guess it's kind of kind of the same thing here. It's—it's it's not, I guess, not unlike Plunderphonics in in that way that it's taking the familiar kind of. Changing it up a little and making something new, but this, yeah, this, well, this is more elemental. Yeah, um, almost, almost kind of like um, uh, Justice, where some of their samples you just you can't tell the samples anymore because they're using all that micro sample. Yeah, yeah. 
I, and in a lot of ways, it's a, a lot more ahead of the time because of just how, like, like the fact that this was the early 80s. Um, and this is something that is, like, normal now and, and, and was very normal even in the 90s, in the early 90s with, uh, with hip-hop. Um, like, there was tons of sampling for hip-hop. But I don't think it was as nearly as commonplace during the new wave. Era. So, um, yeah, I guess they were they were blazing a trail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, the, but the thoughts on the song itself? That oh, sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually though, um, Blue Monday's never been my favorite New Yorker song. Uh, I, I like it well enough, but I like. I guess I don't quite get. The degree that everyone likes it, um, like and the fact that it's like their biggest hit and arguably one of the biggest hits ever, is a little bit head scratching to me. But because um, I just find that, for example, Age of Consent, I find to be a much better song. But you know, at the same time, like maybe it is uh, that Blue Monday's always kind of been in my consciousness for, or at least for a lot longer than Age of Consent. Because um, it was much more present on the radio and stuff like that. It was. And speaking of which, uh, as we were 90s kids, um, do you remember this? Uh, this was a fairly big radio hit as well. And I thought I was mistaken. And I thought I heard you speak. Tell me how do I feel. Tell me now how should I Fashion Town. Mm-hmm. I like Orgy's cover more. I think that the track translated very, very nicely into industrial. I think. I think. It's, yeah. You know what? Like, I, I, I kind of forgot about it. But the moment you started playing it, I was like, "Oh, I have heard this." And I think I've heard this. I think I may have even heard this before the New Order one. Well, I think so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was that was very that was kind of surreal. Actually, it's like it, it's. Yeah, no, it's a good cover. Yeah, very faithful, but also, yeah, it, it very, very, uh, it, yeah, it just translates really well into into that genre, I guess. Maybe, maybe in some ways, maybe industrial is kind of like the evolution of a new wave in a lot of ways. I feel like industrial, like, it never really died, per se, but it definitely lost momentum in a huge way. And really, ultimately, wasn't really popular for that long. I feel like, you know, once metal started to get passe and electronic was becoming popular, there was that window where industrial could thrive. And it wasn't a large window, but you had some very talented and interesting things come out of it. Let's talk again about... Let's talk the, about uh, me yeah. for a minute. <laughs> How do you think I feel with what's been going on? How do you feel about Pyro Corruption Allies? As I said, uh, I really like Age of Consent. I think it's a stellar track. Still a cold, uh, stone-cold classic. Uh, and this album is a very promising departure, uh, much less dark and depressing, much more like the new order that we know and love. Though there are issues, I would say, with the track order, hmm. in that there's a few times where it, it, it comes, it's almost like it starts and stalls a bit. Um, we All Stand it isn't, it's not a bad song, but it really brings the energy of the previous track to a halt. And so, yeah, and that, that happened a few times in the album. Your Silent Face is another high point. A great slow-moving, but not plotting, contemplative head-nodder. Uh, a lot of these songs thrive off of very simple concepts, uh, repetitive beats, and mild variations and deviations from those. But they hold up pretty good, because they're great beats and some 
throughout just the the guitar work when it's thrown in there it's just it's nice and subtle and it just it just it's like embellishments on everything you know i like it yeah so good yeah you can immediately see the production change this is the direction they want to go in this is way crisper it has a, a, a more of a different identity than joy division even though it's still at this point very guitar driven although i love how that synth comes in and declares this is new order now <laughs> But Morris, he finally gets to exercise some creativity in his performance with We All Stand. Well, I think I agree with you in terms of track, with track order. The songs are significantly longer. Instead of aiming to get those short post-punk songs out, we have tunes that are given time to breathe, for better or for worse. Songs like 586, 586, 586, 586. They get that bass going. New Order has brought in some dance tunes. Uh, the second half dips a little more into that Joy Division sort of sound. Still, It's still there. They're still working with it. Uh, so I do also find it's a bit of an uneven album, with the first half being a little better and a little more lively. I would have loved a more consistent tone, but ultimately it's still a really good album. I'd love to pick it up. Mm-hmm. It's pretty nifty. I did want to p- uh, getting a digital copy on, on from the iTunes store. The old iTunes store. The old iTunes store. The old iTunes store. The iTunes store. iTunes store. iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where else to take. It was fine. Uh, we jumped forward two years. Ah uh, yes, yes. Uh, we're heading into Low Life, May thirteenth, nineteen eighty-five. Uh, it's interesting because uh, the cover art. You're like, who's that guy? That's Stephen Morris. If you're like, well, why is Stephen Morris on the cover? Well, the answer is if you open it up, they all have their own little, little uh, thing going on there. So, okay, that's what's going on. Again, released by Factory Records, produced by New Order. But the big one off of this poor puppy was Perfect Kiss. Some culture it's, it's was actually on the album, too. Astoundingly. <laughs> but yes, how do you feel about uh, Low Life? I'd say there's uh, some pretty nifty tunes on here. Pretty nifty. Starts with Love Vigilantes, which sounds familiar, but also not. Like, I just couldn't really put my finger on it, but it's like, it's like I feel like I've heard this song before, but I also feel like I haven't. I, maybe I've heard a cover of it, or something inspired by it, mm-hmm. but I'm really not sure. Most of it feels like very typical New Order, though uh, the Perfect Kiss is pretty solid. A great hook in the course, and something about the vocal mix in it really mm-hmm. draws me in. I like that many of these songs have uh, longer instrumental portions. Like, it just adds a bit more of an unpredictable element to this, to some of the tunes. Um, whether it's longer intros or just kind of bigger breaks between verses and stuff like that. And another fave is Elegia. Elegia, yeah. Elegia. Because, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I like that it's just a more contemplative instrumental. Have you heard the full version? Hmm. The album version was trimmed to five minutes. Remasters the album have included the full 17 minutes uh, prog rock trip. Well, let me recommend. Uh, actually, and also, uh, I, I think I also have it on because in, in that bundle of CDs from Travis, yeah, uh, this album was in there. So I oh, I had no idea. Uh, this one and Technique. Oh, uh, so I put them on on the old the old El Pado. Oh, the so. old J Pod. That's right. Well, I will recommend the 17-minute one is actually pretty dandy, too. So, so okay. Uh, so, it's actually... It's not one of those ones that's like, oh, my God, why did they make this 17 minutes long? They actually... They In actually my humble opinion, I like the movements it goes through. 
Cool. All right. Well, I'll be sure to, to check that out. And I am also digging subculture. Hmm. But apparently that's all I wrote about that one. <laughs> Just that I'm digging it. Yeah, from the get-go, this is a very different album from the previous two. But that sharp, throaty bass is the tangible tie to the other work. It's 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 just so good. Love veg- Vigilantes, though. It kind of sounds like the Smiths. Not surprising. Uh, well, you know, what is the time? Perfect Kiss might be my favorite New Order song. And the guitar in Sunrise is just phenomenal. I wasn't a really fan of Face Up. There was just a little too much disconnect between Sumner's bored vocals and the upbeat music. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Uh, that's... That was the primary issue with me for this album was that it just like it just kind of ended flat. Oh. It, was, it was a little too bad, but on the whole, I like this album. It's good. Mm, what did you say? It is a good. I say it's a not a not bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Cool. Okay. Jumping forward a year and a bit. Yeah, they're busy. Busy boys. September 29th, nineteen eighty six. Doug's alive. I uh, yes, I was I was born at this time. <laughs> We're talking about Brotherhood. The lead-up single to this was State of the Nation. It came out the week prior. You will only really find it... Well, I mean, it's here on Spotify. But it was on the CD release, but not the vinyl or the cassettes. This is kind of weird about Spotify. Is that there's a, the, For the most part, the, the, the classic albums are on here. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, Brotherhood has the expanded edition with all these other bonus tracks and stuff like that. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Why? Yeah. Yeah. The end. <laughs> However, let's talk about the other um, the other elephant in the room here, and that is Bizarre Love Triangle, a song to this day that your average radio goer will recognize has been covered quite a few times. Truthfully, you constantly had to remind me of what it was called because mm-hmm. I always forgot. In fairness, it's a strange name, and uh, one might even say a bit, a bit of a bizarre name. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a a more typical. Of course, you know, every time I see you falling, I get down on my knees. Right. You know, so it's, it's not like a, whoa, whoa, it's a bizarre love triangle. Yeah, you know, true, true. Uh, so it's, I think, I think your average pop, uh, we'll say over the age of 20, pop radio listener will recognize the song, but won't necessarily know what it's called. Uh-huh. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think it's a, that's a great song. I like Bizarre Love, Love Triangle quite a bit. You'll still hear it on like Jack FM and stuff. Yeah, or, or uh, Rock 101. Sure. You know, like any, anywhere that plays like, you know, older music. You know, it's not going to be on modern day pop radio unless they have like a the old hits hour or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which I don't think any of our radio stations do. But um, but yeah, this it's, it's a classic. Actually, this album, pro- it's possibly my favorite of the bunch. Hmm. I would say uh, a highest rate of ASPH. That's uh, awesome songs per hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, okay. Apart from the classic Bizarre Love Triangle, there's also uh, Weirdo, which is also amazing, made with a certain level of conviction to the vocal performance that I just think kind of sells it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Just, it sounds like he's just he's hundred percent sold on the on on, uh, on what he's singing about. Mm. Not as much variety, but more quality, I would say. So. I mean, okay, I, I wrote, <laughs> I started to write a note saying they're using less cheesy synth. And then I think right at that point, some really cheesy synth came on. And so mm-hmm. I went, scratch, 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 scratch. <laughs> um, every Little Counts, which I don't really understand that particular title. But, you know, every, it's fun because it sounds like he's reading the lyrics for the first time. Um, and so he's got like snickering and, and stuff like, well, he's like, he's just, it sounds like he's just having a ball. And, you know, I, like... 
if it weren't for that, I don't know if the track would stand out as much. Mm. It's an, it's an interesting like little embellishment that kind of just makes the so- the song unique, makes it more memorable, and I don't know. It just sounds like they're having more fun with it. It just sounds like it's just it's just they're like okay, here's the vocal melody. And he's like okay, yeah, yeah, and like okay, now read this. And for whatever reason, he just can't keep it together. And you know, it's just one of those things that you would never, th- I I would never think of doing. Uh, if I were to like record music, I would want some things to sound really polished and perfect. But they, for whatever reason, they just allowed uh, a lot of imperfections in it, and it gave it a lot of a lot of character. So, I wasn't as big a fan. Oh really? Truthfully, yeah. I know the idea behind this album was that uh, half of it would be rock, half of it would be disco. Um, oh, I didn't feel that at all. No, they even say that in the in the. Uh... <sighs> In the uh, the background for the album. Well, I guess I didn't read it, <laughs> but I I guess I have to respectfully disagree. N- well, yes, I will say though they have great energy, and when they're playing rock songs, they play rock songs really really well. It's good stuff, but nothing I can get really too excited over. Until admittedly, Angel Dust. That's a pretty dark but dancey track. The vocal layering and the simple synth, synth hook I find are intriguing, and then that roaring guitar comes in and just finishes the song. It's great. The album. Ends a little more on the subdued side, but I felt it needed one more kick. Maybe a, a cool, disjointed electronic build in the last minute. Uh, it's a good album, but except for two songs, nothing that really stood out as memorable for me. I basically just remember the first side as really good rock songs, but not overly distinct from each other. But I am glad the whole album wasn't like that. But yeah, yeah. Huh. Wasn't, wasn't, too, wasn't too impressed with this one, truthfully. Well, I guess, uh, fine. Uh, uh. <laughs> then I'll take it. The next year, August 17th, 1987, Substance 1987. The only really reason I mention this compilation is because this is what pushed New Order uh, into the American mainstream. It uh, collected many of the singles that weren't on albums and then extended ones on top of that. Yeah. Uh, the, then the B-sides on the uh, on the separate one. So even the even the tracks that were on actual albums, mm-hmm. they're different versions. So In fact, uh, yeah, Temptation and Confusion are re-recordings altogether. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. This is uh, Temptation was another song I really knew by New Order uh, that I loved a lot. We for- oh, I forgot to mention it. Yeah, because it was uh, because Moby did a cover of it. Moby did a cover, and the things at the time I didn't know that it was a cover song, and it wasn't until I was watching um, what's that movie called with Ewan McGregor, uh, Train Spotting, and then they were singing a they were singing um, a vocal snippet, and I'm like, that sounds like that Moby song. <laughs> I'm like, but this is but this is like. Years before that album came out, and so. Uh, a quick little click, 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 click uh, on the internet, and uh, I'm like, oh, that's why. And then uh, once I, uh, I got that temptation i was i I was hooked on the new order version Mm -hmm. and i mean it also made me appreciate the moby version because of how different it is and how like the liberties he took um just turning it into a very slow like like just he uh, completely reimagined that song yeah Yeah. um but uh yeah so both both versions i love like a a lot the uh the b-side for temptation is hurt uh which is fantastic b-side it's a lo-fi punk post-punk song and and i really love i really love hurt so in substance oh uh true faith was the single true faith is actually one of their one of their bigger one of their bigger hits period and it's it's not an an album track it's the single to a compilation 
But Truth Faith is, is, is it's still one of the mm-hmm. bigger songs. Yeah, yeah, I, I know that one. Uh, it's, it's also on the work playlist. Substance, uh, you know, normally I'm not like, uh, like oh, I got to get a compilation track. I got a compilation album, but I do feel like Substance, kind of like Substance by Joy Division. Yeah. Um, it's actually pretty essential for, for fans of the, of the band. So. Yeah. I will say that the B-side collection, most of the B-sides are kind of like what the beach was to Blue Monday. They're just kind of noodlings of the A-side. So, they like, Perfect Kiss, uh, the B-side was Kiss of Death. And yeah. uh, it, it, it sounds like just a remix, basically. So there's a lot of those. Now, like I said, there's some good B-sides on there, like yeah, Hurt. Yeah. Casual listener might be like, oh, what's the point to a lot of these B-sides? But the, the collection as a whole, definitely worth it. Definitely yeah, worth I'd it. say so. I didn't mind the B-side. Side. I, I mean, I recognize that it's... Yeah, it's it is. I mean, this the thing is, uh, you, I guess because you go into it knowing as B sides, the the level of expectation is different. You, you know, like you just get a different uh, a different side of what the band's work is. They they recognize that the, the A sides were good singles that had mass appeal, and they recognize the B sides not as much. So and they were yeah. a lot of them. The tiles were kind of playing off each other, like State of the Nations B side was Shame of the Nation. In some ways, actually, you know, that's kind of fun and clever it's it's an interesting idea because they're yeah. just like because again they're, they're kind of twisting the song ideas they're noodling around a bit um but yeah then we jump to january 30th and 1989 with technique again released by factory produced by new order i felt like they were really embracing the electronic and new wave influences here i'm feeling some pet shop boys for sure bit of smiths yeah whoa they were going to ibiza whoa back to the island that's where they recorded. They recorded at Pizza. Wow. Uh, did the laid back party islands influence their music? Maybe. Maybe. You know, this is a case where there aren't any obvious drastic changes or anything. But for whatever reason, I just don't like this album as much. Like, it's fine. And and even and even pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I just don't connect with it as much. I, I will say that I was air drumming along to run. And was impressed with the more uh, intricate production tracks, like um, like Fine Time, uh, and especially Mr. Disco, which should definitely be heard with good headphones. Mm. Uh, yeah, definitely put on, put on a good a good pair of headphones, because there's some really cool stuff that they do in that song, uh, just just production-wise. Uh, you know, how do I even explain it other than they're like... They, uh, you kind of hear it travel between sides of your head and stuff like that. You know, like it's just, it's just cool stuff like that. You know, that you have to have. You wearing headphones to really appreciate. It's a good album, but a bit disappointing after um, what you know, because you know I love Brotherhood and Substance, so it's I, I just see it as sort of a a bit of a step down. But actually, Dream Attack is a really good closer. So I I had have no issues with that song. It was really great. What do you think? Round and rounds was a precursor to 90s club music. Synth beats, uppy tempo, those cheesy, cheesy synth hooks, and the overly romantic and soft vocals, which uh, which uh, the club's kind of got known for. Okay, so you'll notice that Run, the first credit on that is for John Denver. I was like, really? And the controversy was that Run sounds like leaving on a jet plane. And I'm like, is this one of those cases where, you know... To, like, the trained listener or John Denver's estate, they're just like, hey, I don't recognize this. No, no, no. If you plug it and listen to it, it sounds like leaving on a jet plane. You know, I wasn't thinking about it at the time, and now I'm trying... I'm str- I'd have to listen to it. Let's do it. Okay, all right. So kiss me and smile for me. Tell me that you'll wait for me. Hold 
like you'll never let me go Okay, I think we do see eye to eye on this. It's a fun album, but it's not great. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it is cool to take a look at how many groups were influenced by this music, though. That's cool. <laughs> I want, you know, you kind of want something to sink your teeth into. Just be like, yeah, right on. Song's awesome. You know? Yeah. But there's some, there's some good songs on here. Mm-hmm. At this point, New Order went on hiatus, and they did some side projects. Uh, I don't blame them. They had a pretty busy 80s. Oh, they did. They had an outrageously busy <laughs> Yeah, 80s. so, yeah, I don't, you know, I would take a break. I would. Peter Hook formed the band Revenge. Morris and Gilbert recorded as the other two. And then Sumner <laughs> teamed up with Johnny Marr and Neil Tennant to form the band Electronic. Uh, and they had two albums. And I listened to a couple of them. It's not bad. It's not bad oh, Okay. Um, Neil Tennant from Pet Shop Boys? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, man. What a, what a, what a, what a collection. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting, though, eh? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. May 3rd, 1993, we get to Republic. It's worth noting there was a label change. The label is now... Because uh, Factory went kaput. Martin Hannett died. And New Order had spent £400,000 recording this album, Republic. London tried to buy Factory. But because New Order's contract stipulated that New Order owned their back catalog, not Factory. New Order owns the back catalog. It made sense just to strip to buy New Order and not buy Factory. I guess that kind of makes sense. And normally, it would be the label that we bought because the label owns the back catalog. But in this case, they didn't. So it's just New Order. So, okay, let's just manage New Order and just forget all about that other factory stuff. Just just dump it. We don't need it. London had signed to them and has had signed to them. Ace of Base, All Saints, Bananarama, Fine Young Cannibals, Genesis. Oh, yeah. That band, Genesis. That band, Genesis. (laughs) Moody Blues, Rolling Stones, Salt and Pepper. And uh, and ZZ Top, so London London was they were they were pretty big deal. It's quite a uh, an impressive catalog. This album was produced by New Order, and also the return of Stephen Hank, as mentioned before, Stephen Hank of uh, Pet Shop Boys. Hmm. How do you feel about Republic? It sounds a bit like New Order's didn't exactly know how to approach the nineties. Mm. Mm-hmm. In that it was it was a difficult time for some bands because of how the how the music landscape had changed drastically from the. From the late 80s to the early 90s. But maybe it is a good thing that they didn't try some sort of heavy-handed reinvention. So, mm. I, I, um, it, But it does seem like the Republic struggles to sound fresh. But, uh, you know, I, I've, heard it, I've heard it before with, uh, with con- their contemporaries kind of uh, going through the same issue mm-hmm. of like not really knowing how to get out of the 80s. Without like completely reinventing themselves, like The Cure came to mind. Oh yes, um, The Cure in the nineties. Actually, you know, like the, there, there's a lot of parallels between the New Order and them. Um, if you and if you listen to the the stuff they released around ninety three, it kind of suffers from the same stuff. Also, in this one, I hear flavors of Duran Duran, nineties Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but the the Cure, there, there's an album that came out in the in the early nineties. I think. Oh, it was the '96? Okay, well, wild, wild moon, wild mood swings. It's it's a uh, it suffers from a lot of the same things of just being 
notably longer than their last albums because it was like the CD format and not the vinyl format. So they're like, oh, we got to pack it more with songs. Let's put in more songs. Yeah. I bet we can make them longer too. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah, because because of that, as a result, there's a little bit more filler. There's still great songs on that one. There's still pretty decent songs on Republic, but they're not they're, the the albums aren't as tight as they should be. As a result, the in this in Back to Republic, the choir stuff in World, uh, it kind of makes it dated, but like dated before 1993. <laughs> huh. So it, it just gives it a bit, maybe too much 80s. But Avalanche works for me, though. Uh, nice. It's got a nice sort of sweeping, uh, romantic uh, feel. With I, I wrote fantastical undertones, if that's a possible thing <laughs> to have. Um, but, uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, Republic, I feel like it is them just kind of struggling to find relevance in the 90s. But without, like... Like, it wasn't like there was some sort of really stupid, dumb, like, effort to, like, change themselves. It was just sort of like, okay, well, let's keep doing what we're doing and try and make it a little more modern. But but it was a little tired, I guess, mm. in my opinion. Yeah, they dabbled in some alternative dance at this point, And the new wave was kind of moving over to synth pop. It's pretty crazy cover art. Is this some sort of wide societal statement or is it a personal one? About the dynamics of the band. Hmm. Or maybe it's just it just is. Who knows? Who knows? Okay, do you remember our Queen episode when we talked about uh, Hot Space and do, Roger Taylor? Do, 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 uh, do. <laughs> and it's just like, it was a little bit of discontentment going on with a lot of those percussion loops and stuff. And it's just yeah. like, well, what's, what's Roger Taylor doing? You know, because... He's the percussionist, and it sounds like they've got like a, a loop going on the synth. Dude, dude, I feel like something similar is going on with uh, with Morris here. These program percussion loops all sound the same. He is credited in the album for drums, synths, and programming, but I think he lost out on his wants to be in a rock band at this point. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everywhere, brings back that great guitar work, though, I love about New Order. Spooky was remixed for the single, and it was remixed by Fluke. Remember Fluke? Absurd. Yeah. (laughs) He also had a song on the Matrix soundtrack. Um, Dark industrial stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I actually like Fluke. World had a Perfecto mix. Perfecto. Paul Oakenfold. Paul Oakenfold. Is that who does Perfecto Mixes? Paul? Oh, okay. Yeah, because he... I actually... Yeah, he did... Actually, right around the same time. I got a little bit earlier, but the those mixes for Act On Baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, back... Uh, yeah, I guess in the... He uh, contributed to Melon uh, not too much later after this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is 596. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chemical is a great o- high-octane dance track, but I feel like the album loses steam with Times Are Changing. Avalanche, I agree. Nice, a little cheesy, but great ending track. It's a little dated, but the relaxed atmosphere was totally needed. So it's a high-energy and fun album, again. But I really miss those standout tracks that marks their early career. I can see why there were rumors of creative conflicts, although these were never really confirmed. Uh, There were a lot of flash-in-the-pan alternative dance acts at the time. So what was New Order's identity? Whatever you want to say about their creative process, and a lot of people said it. A lot of people were saying that New Order was selling out. This was their most successful album up to this point. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Maybe it's because so, they had they were so 
at that point they got to be so well established, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, did they lose their edge? Did they lose their edge? You know, I mean, did you go from from you know that that really hard edge underground band uh, where you know that's would be be denied entry into clubs because the antics you've, of your scene are too just a spin and polish pop band. Hmm. That's the that's the question a lot of long term New Order fans were wondering. Um, and it, it it would be very familiar motions for like a lot of bands go kind of go down that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then but then again, the other side is just like, what do they care if 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 they are genuinely happy with the music that they're putting out and they feel like they're exercising creative direction that they want to. Should it matter what their fans think? I mean, clearly they're they're still you know selling stadiums and and selling albums. So yeah, it's like you know, yeah. I guess who who who? There's a certain brand of fan, I guess, who who's losing out, maybe. Yeah, but is that creative outlet being exercised because they went on another hiatus and the members did more side projects and the side projects seem to be more in line with. With the things they want to do. Sumner did another electronic album. Hook did a project called Monaco. And in the meantime, London, their label, decided to release some compilations. <laughs> yeah. More uh, compilations. The Best Of from 1994 included more recent releases. Some, some sing- There were some singles. A Pretty in Pink soundtrack song. And remixes of older songs. And then what the hell, there was a remix album thrown in. Because why not? Yeah. It's the remix. The remix. The remix. But then we jump forward. August twenty seventh, two thousand one. You know, it's, it's kind of weird because it's like it's like eight years, mm. which at at that time was an eternity. Because mm. it's like ninety three. It's like oh man, that was ages ago. Two thousand one. Like, oh, that wasn't that long ago. And then I'm like oh, I guess that was quite a while. ago. But take take my perspective. Ninety three. Mm. I was in grade five. August twenty seventh, two thousand one. I just graduated from high school. Yeah. yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. A lot changed in music since then. That's very true. I mean, yeah. it it was like a lot of things had happened in pop music between 93 and 2001. Released by London in the UK and Reprise Records in the USA. Produced by New Order and Flood. And Stephen Osborne, who did U2's Pop, uh, has done some Peter Gabriel work. Ah, there's another King Crimson connection. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Flood also worked on Pop, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Doves. Fratelli's Vanessa Carlton and Aha. Oh, wow, yeah. Yep. Dedicated to Rob Breton, who died in 1999, was Get Ready. Uh, I'd say it sounds like a significant upgrade. Crystal doesn't pull its punches, showcasing the more modern production techniques and synth sounds that came with the time. The songs feel more rock, less new wave. Um, but, there's still some, uh, but there's still some, you know, trademark New Order sounds in there. Certain guitar effects, etc., it, uh, it doesn't feel like the rock music of 2001, um, but that's probably a good thing because <laughs> the last thing we need is New Order trying to sound like Nickelback <laughs> or Linkin Park or uh, Sum 41 <laughs> or, you know, like... Papa Roach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, Finger we, 11. We, uh, yeah, we, that would just be not a good, <laughs> you know? That's not a good... No, it, it just uh, would. It's, 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 it, they would. They would be very. People would see that right through that, right through that thing. But this was. Um, but rather, get ready. Sounds more timeless than that. Actually, rock, okay, rock the shack. Uh-huh. Uh, even sounds a bit like Sloan. 
Someone like you has uh, a great intro, but I was actually going to be a little disappointed when he started singing because like it wasn't like it was bad and it ruined the song. But I do feel like it, it, it was such a, a long intro and it was going really interesting places uh, that it would have been actually better as a more longer um, experimental instrumental. Uh, very, it would it would it would have been very adventurous. But then it kind of just it kind of did fall back onto the uh, onto the uh, the sort of the more typical sound, but. But all in all, Get Ready was actually kind of surprisingly nice. I, I really wound up liking it. Uh, it. It felt like they found a stride uh, and a, a sound that was modern, but still them. And it felt like, you know, here they are in, a, in another another new decade, kind of embracing some of the things that, uh, that have they, I guess, have been brewing in rock and pop music for that time. Um, and, I, and I think it came out to be pretty good. Yeah, well, the lineup is the same. It looks like there's way less emphasis on keyboard. Morris does some programming, but he's back on percussion. Uh, Gilbert is on keys, and Hook is only on guitars. Sumner shoulders a lot of the extra burden for their instruments, as well as vocals, and might be the face of new order production. Likewise, there are now many more hands in the pot. Lots of studio assistants, mixers, and engineers. Uh, also, by the way, Crystal is a great song. It is. It's more rock-oriented, but with a matured electronic sound. This ain't this 80s or the 90s anymore. New order, and they know it. Uh, this continues in the awesome 60 miles an hour with some great guitar work and some of his vocals are on point. Turn My Way is good, but I'm not sure why we needed Billy Corgan. But then again, never been a fan. Oh, is that, oh, is that him? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Vicious Streak is great. Uh, you know, frankly, I really dig this album. It's easily in my top picks. Yeah, I was really feeling that rock vibe for sure. A huge jump between the last couple albums. One minor nitpick, though, Sumner's lyrics are pretty banal and typical fare for pop songs. And while he has done that in the past, he's also been pretty good with balancing out some pretty deep material. Someone like you, in particular, my issue wasn't how he was singing, but just like, the lyrics were just so bleh, bleh. Just sort of like, I need mm. to, I need to write lyrics, this'll do. Mm. Yeah. 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 But then, ah, wait a second. This is a Duran Duran album. <laughs> Ex- <laughs> except for Run Wild, which is a Christian rock track. Hmm. I didn't. I didn't make the. I didn't make the Duran Duran connection with this one. But uh, interesting. Uh, and now, if you want to pull up, sir, the music video to Crystal and watch a bit of it, and then tell me what you notice about it. Uh, look at the name on the drum kit. Say Killers. Oh. Okay. So, what's the name on the drum kit? The Killers. The Killers. Yep. It was only what, like four years later. Uh, three. Yeah. Three years. Three years later. So the Killers took their name from the fictional band, uh, a fictional cover band for New Order. And then their first video was a lift off of Crystal that hmm. they got their namesake from. Yeah. Well, you know, you listen to the Killers and you can tell they listen to some New Order. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like a New Order had a, I mean, they, who, who didn't they impact at this point, you know? Yeah. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. At times, it's almost blinking, you miss it, but thankfully, there's a few shots where you see it. You see it, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, the kill- yeah. And it's, it's Especially at the time, it was just like, whatever. But now, with hindsight, it's just like, what's going on? You know? Well, now, it's an, an interesting piece of uh, of rock history. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at this point, Jillian Gilbert has left the band to raise the Morris family. 
And she's replaced by Phil Cunningham, who was a part of Electronic and was a touring musician for New Order. So he had known he had known uh, Sumner for quite a while uh, at this point. Uh-huh. Uh, so it actually, all things considered, wasn't too much longer. Uh, March 28th, 2005, Waiting for the Siren's Call. Uh, again, distributed by London, but not Reprise Records, from what I can see. Produced by New Order, but also produced by John Leckie, who had done Radiohead, Muse, and XTC. Stephen Street, who did Smith's, Blur, Cranberries, Kaiser Chiefs. And Stuart Price, who did Madonna, Pet Shop Boys, Scissor Sisters, and The Killers. Oh. <laughs> well, and, uh, yeah, I guess at this point, The Killers were a thing now. And Scissor Sisters, uh, Anna... Uh, Anna... Atomic? No. Uh, Anna... Matro- oh, Animatronic from the... She does a guest vocal in here. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, well, it looks like they're doubling down on the uh, adult rock. It is a logical direction, though uh, they really stripped back the synthesizers. Um, well, again, uh, Jillian, Jillian Gilbert wasn't really here. And uh, yeah, Phil, Phil Cunningham was... I think he was still kind of like... Probably still feeling a little bit like the replacement guy. Right, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. But the uh, guitar elements are more polished than ever. And, you know, but what I'll say is, you know, again, uh, as with, uh, in a different way, but the same with technique, there isn't anything obviously wrong with this album, but I'm really not feeling it. Get Ready felt more alive. Like, this just feels a little more... uh, By the books, maybe? Um, there are good tracks, like Who's Joe, I thought it was a good opener, and Morning, Night, and Day, but I'm surprisingly, I'm surprisingly lukewarm on this, on this album. Oh, and, uh, by the way, uh, Jetstream sounds the most like Duran Duran. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, like, I'm just like, wow, this is, this is very Duran Duran. Oh, but I will say the last track, Working Over Time, where they really, they really, um, I feel like, this maybe where they should have gone, uh, is they really embrace the rock. And that song is awesome, but it's a little bit, a little bit too little, too late. I'd mm. say. So yeah, yeah. Again, like there's, I, I feel like with New Order, if if you really love New Order, uh, I don't think you're gonna dislike this album. I just didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't really feeling it myself. Uh, well, first off, another rock album. Cool. Who's Joe? Great guitar driven song, but where's the synth? I liked what Sumner did with his vocals in Hey Now, What You Doing. This does really feel like a logical follow-up to the last album, and, but it's more thoughtful and introspective and less fun. It's just not as fun. We do finally hear some synth and crafty, and it's a little cheesy and kind of basic. Maybe we're a little bit spoiled. Luckily, the guitar swings back in, and it kind of grounds the song. I feel like the middle of the album really slumps, uh, but I do like Jetstream quite a bit. You mean the most Duran Duran song ever? I will admit that. I'm a big Duran Duran uh, uh, fan. But also, uh, this is the one with animatronic as well. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. I love the melody and vocals of Guilt as a Useless Emotion, and it actually really captures the emotions of the song for me. Mm. But, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, the, the last one felt more alive. This one, it just... I, I'm attributing this to Gilbert not being present. That's that's my attribution. No disrespect to Phil Cunningham. I wasn't feeling his presence, really, on the album. I mean, you got a bunch of guys who have been recording together at this point for, I don't know, like 30... 30 odd years and you're you were a touring musician you kind of worked with Bernard Summer a little bit and you're stepping in to fill a slot you probably don't feel like your voice is you know really matters as much because you're you're replaceable you're replaceable that's my feeling it just didn't feel like 
um, as well-rounded musically because it, it felt like there was a hole. And I'm attributing that to the absence of Gilbert. By 2006, Peter Hook was asking that the band stop touring. And he and Sumner stopped working together. And it seems like the band was now fracturing. Uh, Sumner went on to form another band with Cunningham called Bad Lieutenants. Uh, Morris drummed with them while they were on tour. Which was just a more straightforward rock band. Hook left to work with his band, The Lights, which just seems to perform Joy Division and early New Order songs. Um, oh, okay, so one, one of those type bands. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's not a cover band, really, because he was part of it. But it's more like... Tribute... Well, it's kind of like what's um. Oh, uh, Roger Waters. Yeah, it's kind of like sometimes what he does. You know. Well, yeah, he's go. He, well, he just performs you know, like the wall and stuff. Around performing the wall. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's like he's like yeah, but hey, dude, the dude sells stadiums yeah, <laughs> doing, yeah, doing yeah, that, yeah, you know. So, uh, yeah, well, there's an audience for it. Oh yeah, Gilbert came back for some live shows, but Hook wasn't really interested, and he was replaced by Tom Chapman from Bad Lieutenant. So Sumner has this thing about replacing people with. Other guys he's worked with in his other bands. Well, yeah, that kind of makes sense because, because like, he's, he's tried them out basically. I guess. He's like yeah. he he knows them. He works well with them already. So, yeah, that makes sense. So after some successful live shows, um, Norda decided actually, okay, let's stick around. Let's do a little bit more. Uh, Lost Sirens comes out January eleventh, twenty thirteen. It's a strange release, almost eight years later, but wound up actually not being an album. That the album you'd think it would be, it was outtakes from the last album. So technically, it wasn't accurate to the current lineup. So Peter Hook was still playing on it and Phil Cunningham, because it was really an extension of the previous album. And yeah, yeah. it was it was just like a, I mean, B sides or outtakes or yeah. or a companion album. Yeah, you know. But it's very weirdly... But weirdly delayed. That's the thing. Yeah. It's the eight years which is very bizarre about it. Yeah. Rhino Entertainment released this. Rhino's so weird. It, that's what I said. It's so strange. <laughs> yeah. Rhino, they just like... They're almost like... They're just so happy to do whatever they can. <laughs> they just do it. They're like, you know what we should do? Let's release this New Order album and then let's release... Transformers on DVD. <laughs> My first exposure to Rhino Entertainment was the Transformers VHS collections before the DVD became available. And then my second uh, experience with Rhino was them releasing Mystery Science Theater 3000 collections. And then before you know it, I was just seeing Rhino like everywhere, but not consistently. Yeah, it just, it's it just, just pop up. Like, every now and then you're like, oh, it's released by Rhino. Oh, it's Rhino. Oh, yeah. Okay. Those guys. Yeah. It's very bizarre. This one's... Uh, a little all over the place for production, produced by New Order. Again, Stuart Price, Stephen Street again. So some of the guys from the last one. Tor Johansson, from, who's done Cardigans. Aha, Franz Ferdinand, and OK Go. Jim Spencer and Matt Quayle. Lots of lots of people producing here. Uh, so yeah, it, it is... Um, well, despite it kind of being the uh, Waiting for the Sirens calls, uh, outtakes or B-sides or whatever you want to call it. Ironically, I might like it better. <laughs> um, I am amused at the disco-esque song Sugarcane. Although, do I like it? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I might. I'll have to give it another go. It is actually a bit uneven, and I can I kind of get why these songs didn't fit onto the previous album. Uh, but I'd say that songs like Hellbent, uh, I'll Stay With You, and I Told You So, I think make it worthwhile. Uh, although I might recommend skipping Shake It Up, because uh, that song just kind of felt dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, ah. Uh, 
they, they you know, they, I, I don't mind it when they delve kind of back into the electronic stuff, but um, do it right. Yeah. So I didn't have a lot of thoughts on this one other than it was just a little bit like, just kind of all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't getting as much guitar here, but quite a bit of piano and synth. So maybe the rock orientation with the last album was purely intention to the sound they were going for. So that was something that then I was wondering. It's just like, okay, so maybe the these all the synth stuff that Cunningham was really contributing and stuff, did they just cut it then? They're just like, nah, we don't want these ones. Nah, we don't want these ones. Nah, they don't. And then they finally released them with this one. I don't know. I don't know, but I find it interesting that these were recorded at the same time and I'm getting way more piano and synth stuff on these ones and I felt like that was lacking in the last one. I don't know. Recoil is great. The last couple minutes are purely instrumental, but really pick up the journey of where the lyrics were going. Uh, I liked Hellbent as well. Uh, aggressive percussion contrasted by the smooth vocals and jazz piano. Shake It Up, it kind of reminded me more of a traditional New Order song. Sometimes I do miss that because distinct guitar works. Better than the last album. I'll agree with that. Better than the last album. But a little bizarre. Yeah, yeah. A little bizarre. It's an anomaly. Yeah. Yeah. A couple years go by, although really they've been, I guess, working this entire time at it. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Uh, They're now signed with Mute. Uh, music completes September 25th, 2015, produced by New Order, Stuart Price, and Tom Rollins. Tom Rollins being half the Chemical Brothers. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I'm listening to Singularity, the second track. Yeah. And I'm thinking, so they're bringing back the electronica. <laughs> Is this a good idea? And I think I decided, yes. <laughs> because it is a different direction. And it is sure-footed. And perhaps foolhardy in a way that not many bands their age can brag about. Because <laughs> damn, they really went with it. <laughs> they really, really did. I might argue that uh, this album's a bit repetitive and a little over long. Because it's, it's the only one that I think that's over an hour. Hmm. But it does come with some gems, like the eerie Stray Dog and uh, the video game soundtrack song, Unlearn This Hatred. I don't know if this is one that I would want to listen to a lot, to be completely honest. But I kind of like that they went there at this in this day and age, and they really put all their cards on the table for it, you know? Mm. So I kind of admire it, the fact that they just really, like, really doubled down on this electronic sound. Yeah, I don't know, but I, you know, I, I, I don't know if I even have a full, a full opinion of it, just because it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I haven't listened to it a lot, but I, I definitely, it did, they did, yeah, they definitely went with, they went with what they had, and they went, went balls deep, <laughs> balls deep, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I, I guess I, I maybe drilled that a little home, home too much. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What do you think? A very poppy start, but mature. There's a lot of experience and ease in both instrumentation and vocals. No Peter Hook. He, uh, who been with him for so long? He's, he's just, he's not in. Yeah, yeah, I guess, you know, at this point in their careers, uh, it is, I feel natural that, um, they're going to start fracturing and people are going to just have to get on with their lives, uh, elsewhere. But Jillian Gilbert came back. Oh, yeah. Uh, Singularity brings in some electronic and experimental elements missing from that first song. It has a great speed and is more indicative of Passworks. This is also one of the tracks that Roland's co-wrote. Plastic, I thought, was fairly good about keeping the momentum going. There's an artificial feeling to it, which is very appropriate. Uh, Tutti Fruity with Ellie Jackson is a super sexy song with a steady beat and some flashy pop vibes. 
And I was, and I, I really feel this is a pitch perfect dance pop album with a lot of fun. A lot of those darker, melancholic themes that New Order was known for are actually almost completely absent. That Iggy Pop guest spot on Stray Dog. I'm torn on it. I mean, he, he does, he serves the narrative, but I almost want it to be Tom Waits. Mmm, you know yeah. what? Tom Waits would be better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, was there a Tom Waits it. album called Stray Dogs? Maybe that's where the idea came in my head. Uh, she ain't got any problems on her dollars won't fix. <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah, Tom Waits. Oh. But man, you can really tell a Roland's track. Unlearn This Hatred is quite distinct in its Chemical Brothers atmosphere, but it lends itself well to New Order. And then suddenly, with Superheated, Brendan, Flower, Brendan Flowers comes in. Oh. Uh, yeah, and I love the novelty of it. I just wish there was a little more to it. It just didn't feel... It was just like, oh, I wonder what's going to go on. And it's just like, ah, okay, it's an okay song. Uh, all in all, though, I did kind of, I like this one a lot more. Certainly the high points were higher than the last couple albums. And it's interesting. I wonder, would this be a, a, a point where I would be satisfied with New Order ending? Like, mm. if, if this was their last album, would I be satisfied with that? I don't know. I think that it would be better than having... Lost Sirens. Yeah. yeah. So ending on Lost Sirens or even uh, waiting for the Sirens call or... It wouldn't be the worst ending. Yeah. But I th- I, th- I think they could get another one out of them. I don't know. What do you think? It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to say. There were some actually some very mixed reviews for this. And All Music, out of out of everybody, All Music gave it a really negative review. Oh, really? Which actually really surprised me. Uh, they tend to be they tend to be fairly forgiving. But yeah, I, I, de- I think part of the reason why I was I was in part okay with this album, like like really, it's it's a fun dance album. Was I don't feel like it deserved a lot of the hatred it was getting from some of the review sites. No, like I was just like, it's not that bad. Guys. You, you, you just you felt that you had to balance it out a bit. <laughs> well, I had to be honest. I had to be honest. Yeah. Am I going to weigh this against all its other music, or am I going to judge it on its own? By both accounts, by both accounts, it's not a bad album. It's not. It's, it's definitely not their worst. Yeah. Um, it's not their best, but maybe um, maybe people just had you know had huge expectations in their mind because you know you only get a new new order album every uh, you know every well at this point half it's all decade. Over the place. Yeah. yeah yeah every yeah. every decade or every half decade or something like that so. I guess we, we uh, always kind of hope that it's going to, whatever, whatever the next New Order album is going to be, is going to be an event. Mm-hmm. But I found that really isn't the case. I feel like they are a little more all over the place. And um, sometimes they hit it out of the park and sometimes, and sometimes they just, they kind of played a little too safe. And it's not like they're like you too, where they're spending all their time in the studio, eventually coming out with a new album. They go and they do these side projects, all of them. Yeah, they got, they, they're busy. They, they go and they do other things. So is it going to sound like another New Order album when it comes out? Not necessarily, because they've been going and doing other things. So they're bringing back Electronic or Bad Lieutenant or whoever, bringing, bringing some of those sounds mm-hmm. over. Especially when Sumner's bringing some of those bandmates with them. So... But what I can say about New Order in general is I think it's pretty essential to, get, to go back and listen to the 80s catalog. Like, it, that, I hear that. What they... What they did in the eighties, or the amount of the, the fact that like half their catalog is from the eighties, and they cranked out uh, some really like timeless hits, um, and uh, essentially like almost became one of the main faces for the new wave genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they, you know, they they have they've definitely made their mark, 
and uh, and any any music fan should uh, should give those '80s albums a spin. And I think if you like them, you should probably uh, you know give, give listen to more of the modern stuff as well. Yeah. And uh, this is this is another thing here. Looking back on this on their whole career, starting with Joy Division in the beginning, it's amazing the directions they've gone. Yeah. They have not been content to repeat the same stuff over and over again, except for maybe Peter Hook with his tribute band. But Well, I mean, yeah, you know, you gotta pay the bills. <laughs> um, not that they're in danger of not paying bills. I think there's something commendable about at least giving it a try. Even if at some points you feel like they're selling out. If if you want oh, it's like, oh well this is this is just pop garbage or whatever. The they have gone and pursued many different directions because uh, the music matters to them. They, it was something they wanted to do. They didn't want to go back to Manchester, back to blue-collar jobs in the middle of a, of a depression. They wanted to pursue music, and not even death or negative reviews or a nightclub that was a sinkhole for money were, were really going to stop them. This was This was a passion for them. And I think that... You look at the whole catalog, and it's super commendable. You can you can only wish to have a career where screw what everybody else says. I'm just gonna keep doing it, and I'm just gonna keep doing it. Yeah, <laughs> don't know where to take it from there. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, and you know, if if nothing else, they always have Blue Monday. <laughs> they will always have Blue Monday. Yeah. yeah. Let's do track recommendations. You want to go first? Oh yeah. Well, you know, I'm gonna start off with something a little bit safe. I'm gonna, do, yeah, I'm just gonna do Age of Consent. I love Age of Consent. It's first one. It's uh, you know, like you, you can't forget that. I mean, you're you're listening to it right now, everybody. You're like, how do you how do you how do you resist that? And also that cool like, 80s synth at the end, just just carrying the song out, and um, and that part where Kristen Dunst, Kristen Dunst, just on the on the, just on the, on the, on the face, naked. And she's all naked. She's got that fan, um, mm-hmm. and she's got the bedroom eyes on. Ah, the old Kristen Bell bedroom eyes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's just, it's just, if you wanted, if you, if you were to make a starter pack of new wave songs, to, you know, if somebody's like, I don't know what new wave is, you gotta put in Age of Consent. Don't be an idiot. Put this, put it in there. <laughs> I am going to go with. Because it's you know because it's different, I'm gonna go with uh, every little counts uh, from Brotherhood. Because uh, again, I mean, I already talked about it, but I just I just like the the quirkiness of it and the fact that it's it just tries to be unconventional and and be and be kind of fun um, just by just by being unpolished and being uh, you know I mean maybe it is a calculated unpolished I don't know, but it, you know but I buy it. It just seems genuine to me. And I uh, and it, and it just makes it just makes me remember it, and, and without without even really requiring like this super awesome hook, I still kind of remember it. Um, so uh, yeah, definitely give that one a go. I, I really really recommend it. And uh, you know what? I'm going to go with um, a different end of the spectrum. Uh, much later, uh, even though I didn't dig the album too much off of waiting for the sirens call. Working overtime, uh, the rock track that finishes the finishes the album off. Uh, it is probably the most unabashed rock song that New Order has done, and I just love its energy, and I just love what it brings to the table. And I do, I kind of wish that that was the sound that they 
or maybe it's, maybe it's better that it wasn't the sound they went with it on the album. The fact that 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 track does kind of stick out. I don't know. I guess I'd have to see what what it sounds like in a parallel universe where they made the album like that. But yeah, it, it, it's just it, it's something that's kind of unique in the catalog without being like a super like unique song. It's it's unique for a new new order song, and I think it I think works really well. So check that out, folks. An off album track, uh, Temptation. Mm. Down, mm. turn around. Please don't let me. Oh, hit the that, it was hard not to pick that. Yeah, I say. tonight I feel I walked alone, find my soul, and I go home. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it reminds me of Mad World. Remember how? Because Mad World had a famous cover as well that that was a very a piano ballad and yeah, mel- um, very melancholy. Lyrics. And the lyrics are melancholy, but the original is manic. And this Temptation is very much the same, where it's, it's kind of a yeah, I won't call it high energy, but it's up, down, turn around. It's pretty high energy. energy. Yeah, yeah. and I've never met anyone quite like you before. But it, it's it's uh, the lyrics are more about joy than about sadness. Although the lyrics seem to be sad lyrics. Anyways, Temptation is a great song. Also check out Hurts, the B-side. My favorite New Order song is The Perfect Kiss. It's a good one. It is a good one. The chorus, I even posted on Facebook that I wish I could sing like Bernard Sunday in that song. Uh, I know you know you believe in a land of love. I know we know we believe in a land of love. It's super cheesy, but um, the way he's got that... Uh, that, that distortion on his voice mm-hmm. and the way that that synth comes in that very that very angelic and the, the, the guitar the way the guitar carries with it as well it's it's about uh it's about friends who should be more than friends and it culminates just this build-up between them it culminates in perfect kiss so that's where the song ends so, as far as the lyrics are concerned don't know what happens afterwards uh however i think it was morris that insisted on having frogs in the song, so you hear some frogs at some point. In yeah, the yeah. Okay, that's. I, I sounded like frogs. I was like, yeah, yeah frogs, but I didn't frogs. really look into them. Okay, yeah, it's cool. Perfect kiss. Perfect kiss is great. I, I almost wish that the the chorus was done at least once one more time. I, I've listened to that song times. It's great. Moving on from Lost Sirens, I'll do a Recoil again. I, I like the structure of the song quite a bit. The lyrics, uh, the way the lyrics are, and they're they're going someplace. And there's a culmination, a culmination that kind of stops, and the instrumentation picks up that slack, and it keeps going. And for an album that I was really kind of shaky on, some high points, some low points, everything in between, I thought Recoil was the standout track, and a, a really, from that era of recording, probably one of the best songs. Uh, Next time, one of Canada's best-selling acts of all time. Really? Uh, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. I was I was surprised to find out they're on a nine studio albums now. Our Lady Peace. We decided to do Our Lady Peace, and man, uh, I own three of the albums. Revisiting some of them, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting. I'm curious too because I have a uh, I I, uh, I didn't like them very much um, when they were big. I actually really didn't like them, but but. Maybe I'll be one over. Maybe I will get it this time. Let's we'll we'll find out in the next episode of Music A to Z. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've got. To, I definitely need to go back and and re-listen to it. And everyone again. talks about uh, their album Navid and like, oh, you got to hear. Naveed. Oh, you got to hear Navid. Yeah, but, uh, so that's incredible. Yeah. So I know, yeah, we'll, like we'll see. We'll, we'll see, see what. Uh, yeah, I'd be, see I'd what be curious. Hubbub is about. Yeah, hubbub, 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 hubbub. 
Hubbub. Do you have any opinions on Our Lady Peace? How about New Order? How about M83? How about any of the bands or acts that we have covered on the show? There's mm-hmm. a few ways of getting a hold of us. First is through our Facebook page, Music A to Z. Scope it out. Check out the conversation. Feel free to check out the links and all the fun things that we post on that page. I would love to get to 200. Oh my god, we are never going to hit 200. Also check us out on iTunes. Go to the podcast section. Music A to Z. Ratings and reviews. Click it. Rate it. Plug in your opinion. I would love to see what you think. And iTunes would love to get your feedback. So it can plug it away into an algorithm. Bingo, bingo, bongo. Do I have a Twitter account? At Music AZ Podcast. At Music AZ Podcast. Uh, I'm going to a couple concerts in April. And I will be live tweeting those concerts. Uh, it'll be Alan Parsons Project. Alan Parsons Live Project, I should say. Mm-hmm. And Metric. Oh, we're going to metric again. I'm going to metric, yeah. And like, what the heck is with that? This is this is how it tends to be these days. I buy tickets for a show. The show is eight months away. What and I usually forget, out. and and it's sold out. It's just like, what the hell? And there was another one, uh, Five Alarm Funk, we covered on this podcast, and they're and they were. I want to see it, but the tickets are kind of pricey. They're very pricey. Yeah. Too many zoos. Do you know who Too Many Zoos? No. Do you remember that, that video that Daniel posts every year of the guy and the, in the New York subway where it's like, dirt, 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 dirt. Yeah. That's Too Many Zoos. That's the song or that's the guy? That's the, 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 that's the band. Oh. Or at least two of the members of the band. Where oh. he's like dancing around like... Yeah. Yeah, that's Too Many Zoos. Something I really want to see that show. I know. I know. But the tickets were really expensive. Like, oddly expensive for how big those acts are. Yeah. Like, they're not, they're not like, they're not that big. Yeah, and Sierra Love tickets were cheaper, and Sierra Love's been around a lot longer. Yeah, so anyways, uh, but I, I but I, I still kind of want to go, yeah. <laughs> but I'm torn. I don't know. We'll Probably see, sold out. We'll see what my next paycheck's like, <laughs> if, if, uh, if, the, if there's still tickets available then. Tax return. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, true, true. Oh, yeah. And that's the sort of conversation that we will have <laughs> on the Facebook page and on our, our Twitter accounts, again, at Music AZ Podcast. True that. You know, uh, everyone, I'm the most involved right now in my... Um, uh, YouTube channel, uh, moving underscore pictures. That's pictures with a K, like like Pikachu. Is that where it comes from? Please say it, no. No, it is. It is actually. Oh my god! That was, it was Paul's handiwork. He he didn't tell me till way later. Uh, and I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> but but you know what? Itty witty. So yeah, please check that out. Uh, it's it's it can be a little hard to find on YouTube, which is maybe why our subscriber rate trickles in very slowly. But uh, if you look up Beast Wars Wednesday, if you love if you love that old classic Transformer show, Beast Wars, Beast Wars Wednesday is the YouTube show for you where we review every single episode in chronological order. And some you guys are almost done. We're getting close. We're getting we're on the last season, so check it out. And we also review other things, uh, video games and movies and other pop culture type things. So check it out. All right. Anything else, Captain? No, I'm good. Sweet. Well, then I'm going to close this out by saying Music ADZ Podcast is hosted by Stephen and Doug Ferguson and is produced by me, Stephen Ferguson. You should check out our other works at DougJCFerguson.com and StephenGCFerguson.ca. 